Kyle, where do you think? Shout out. What? No. What were you gonna launch into? I was going to do a Shakespeare soliloquy. Ellie, you know what do I... Do a whole Shakespeare soliloquy I right was going to say, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? But I don't remember anything else. But I did realize when I watched a video the other day that when Juliet says, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Yeah. Wherefore it doesn't means why. mean... Yeah. Yeah. They don't teach you this in Shakespeare school. I mean, they did teach me. <laughs> I, I literally did not learn this. And I read the... Romeo and Juliet in school. <laughs> you went to the... The Shakespeare abridged school. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the, drunk, the drunk Shakespeare the school. Drunk Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Butter No Parsnips. Every week on Butter No Parsnips, your hosts Kyle Imperator and Emily Moyers take you on an adventure through the weird, wacky, wonderful, and sometimes even wicked world of one wayside word. Strange characters, delightful bits, and general joyousness abound. Join them as they test each other's etymological expertise. Hey, it's Butter No Parsnips. <laughs> oh. Ah, that's good, too. All How's right. it going? I'm Kyle. I'm Emily. That's it. Congratulations. Uh, rapturous applause. Yep. We nailed the, this. We nailed yeah, this the, intro, Kyle, as we the, do the, every week. The, the Oscars music starts playing. <laughs> and then the, you know, the narrator's like, next up, Whoopi Goldberg announces the uh, winner of best. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Music's still playing. <laughs> yeah. Still Kyle, playing. before they yank us off the stage. Oh, yeah. Do you have a word for us this week? <laughs> Emily, I've got a word for you. Your word today is mm-hmm. coxcomb. <gasps> Whoa, I feel like I've heard this word. Hang you, on. I'm sure you have. It's a very popular word, but I'll spell it out loud for you. It's yeah. C-O-X-C-O-M-B. Coxcomb. Yeah, I mean, now your your quotations of Shakespeare make sense, because I've mm. definitely... Read it in Shakespeare. I'm sure he's used. So I know in sailing, a -hmm. coxswain or a coxswain is the Mm -hmm. guy at the helm. Sure. Is this in any way related? Wow, that's a great, great question. The answer is 98% no and 2% yes. Fair enough. Fair enough. But the yes has nothing to do with what the actual word is. Gotcha. Oh, boy. It's like I can almost hear the Shakespeare quotes. Is it like a... Like a knave, like a like a a fool. Emily, <gasps> did I get it? That is it. Yeah. Yes. You got it. <laughs> play the music. <laughs> yeah, play the music. Oh, that's so exciting. Oh wow, I'm so glad. <laughs> yeah, Emily, I was got like, it. I just felt like I was right on the edge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, coxcomb is a stupid person or a fool. Yeah. It can also be, more specifically, it came to mean a vain, conceited, or pretentious man, or a man of ostentatiously affected mannerisms or appearance, as in a fop. Oh, a popinjay, if you will. A popinjay. Actually, Emily, popinjay is a synonym for coxcomb. Uh, Yeah, it sounds like it. And I almost didn't do this episode, but there's a lot of other things to talk about. I'm sure there is. Just real quickly, your relationship to Coxswain here, mm-hmm. Coxswain has been abbreviated as just Cox 
C-O-X. Sure. Or I've also seen C-O-X apostrophe N. N, yes. But coxcomb can also be abbreviated to C-O-X. Gotcha. Very rarely, but they do not, no. Gotcha. So the origin for coxcomb is uh, pretty obvious, Emily. It comes from Middle English in the 1400s from the word coxcomb (laughs) (laughs) literally meaning the crest of a rooster how could you unravel that kyle i know it's and i tried going deeper but literally the words cock and the words comb have literally been the same word as far back as we as we can tell funny like going back through like (laughs) proto-indo-european they were just cock and comb yeah wow i wouldn't have thought comb to go back that far yeah Originally, comb had something to do with teeth, and so what we came to call like a comb for combing things was called a comb because it had teeth. teeth. Yeah. 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 So coxcomb was originally C-O-C-K-S-C-O-M-B. Sure. And it literally was the name for the fleshy red crest of a rooster. And it wasn't until around the 1500s that we started to see the X instead of the CKS. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't figure out why. I, I I couldn't see like see if there was a pattern with that happening with other words or. I know I there are know. other words where letters get like squished together or shortened like that. Like a lot of like T I O N words or like you know C T I O N will become an X. Sure, I mean it makes it the, so. The weird thing though is that. Coxcomb with an X and Coxcomb with a CKS were then used interchangeably for a very long time. So it's not like one replaced the other. Maybe it was a printing thing to be shorter. Um, I don't know. Possibly. We just fade out here. <laughs> <laughs> my my favorite variation that I've seen, there's like a hundred different variations on this word. Yeah. But my favorite was Colkiscom. C-O-L-K-I-S-C-A-M-B. Colkies come. Colkies come. Colkies come. <laughs> Two separate words. Two separate words, Emily. So Colkies come. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes it's just cockcomb. Whatevs. Whatevs. But the first biggest variation for the definition of coxcomb from the rooster's crest definition, starts with the outfits of court jesters. Oh, because they would sort of resemble that? Uh, Yes. Or it could? Actually, more than sort of. If he had like a red floppy hat? Emily, you're you're right on there. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'll stop. No, 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 (laughs) I'm I'm so happy for you. It's like, yeah, you're you're driving the bus. I I could take a break and get paid. You know? <laughs> well, I hacked your computer and got your notes, so I'm just reading I mean, along. <laughs> it's very kind of you to pretend like you haven't done that. <laughs> so the cowl or the cap that jesters wore was referred to as cap and bells because the cap, as well as the rest of the costume, often included what are called Morris bells. Oh, there's a special name. Yeah, those bells were used in Tudor England to accompany dancing, like to accent the dancing. So like when oh. you danced around, like jingled every time you dance. Sure. So then jesters started wearing them because I guess it helped them be entertaining. I don't know. Yeah. But there are a bunch of different types of these caps. Some of them are explained in Lucy Barton's 1935 Historic Costume for the Stage. Here's a quotation from that book. 
Cap and bells, proclaimed the jester, the cap assuming different forms. One, with ass's ears and a forward curving peak. <laughs> Two, without ears and in place of the peak, an uprearing crest or coxcomb. Ah. And three, with two horn-like peaks at the sides of the head. Oh. Yeah, so one of the actual caps that they wore had literally a rooster's crest, and they called it a coxcomb. Gotcha. I mean, that makes yeah. sense. It's a silly, it's a silly yeah, little right? goof them up. <laughs> well, it, it's actually more than that, Emily. Oh. Get ready There's for this. Depth. There's depth. A little bit. <laughs> so donkey ears were used in fool's caps to symbolize simplicity and lack of wisdom. Mm -hmm. But the rooster, on the other hand, signified sexual desire, unbridled passion, and uh, horniness. Oh, good. <laughs> it always comes back to horniness, Emily. <laughs> I like The first two were like, let's really try to make this sound elegant and then just it's horny. <laughs> horny. Horniness. <laughs> eh, what can I say is horny? <laughs> And then, well, what did the horns signify? I have no idea. I don't think it signified <laughs> anything. I think they were just funny looking. That one's just a silly goof em up That one's just a silly goof em up yeah. <laughs> so from this, we get the definition for coxcomb was a type of cap worn by a fool or jester, resembling a coxcomb in shape and color, often adorned with a red stripe. So they would, uh, eventually, coxcomb became the word for any fool's cap. Sure. I've got a horrifying picture to accompany this, and I'm oh, sending no. it your way because I need you to look at it. Oh, we'll boy. post this along with uh, <laughs> along with it. This is from a ready, 1520 folks. engraving called Fool and Woman by the Dutch painter Lucas van Leyden, and it is just a lovely picture of two melting people. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, I'm so sorry for the people in the future who have to see this. <laughs> It hate is this just, man <laughs> I, I mean truly it is and she is clearly trying to like it is an unwanted gesture but <laughs> but but she does not have the capacity to to, to to push him away right now truly so moving on uh so uh a more elaborate form of but you see in the picture that hood that he's wearing has like a, a a rooster crest there. Yes, I did see that. That's the coxcomb that they're talking about. Yeah. More elaborate form of this depicted an entire rooster head on the cap. <gasps> like beak and all? Yes. And some of the caps combined the elements of the animals. So some would have the head and the crest of the rooster. Some would have the rooster head with donkey ears. Some had donkey ears and like actual rooster feathers on it. Oh, I don't like the combining. <laughs> I know, right? It's like, well, because then it's like, well, they're a fool, but also horny. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they can do both. Ah, you horny fool. <laughs> ambidextrous, you horny, horny fool. <laughs> so from this, coxcomb came to mean a person's head, especially the top, or occasionally their hair. What? So you could say, if you're talking about somebody's head, you could call it their coxcomb. Weird shift in the yeah. definition. <laughs> I know. It's such a weird shift, but it's great. And I've got a very useful example for us today, Emily. Oh, good. This example comes from none other than Charles Kingsley's 1955 novel, <laughs> Westward Ho. <laughs> I'm going to explode. <laughs> Fantastic. This is not from Water Babies, though. And not from Water Babies. This is from Westward Ho. I found this and I was like, oh, that's fun. But it is a really useful example of the head meaning. So it, this is the quote. Ready? 
Whereupon, with a serene and cheerful countenance, uprose the mighty form of Amius Lee, a head and shoulders above his tormentor, and that slate descended on the bald coxcomb of Sir Vindex Brimblecomb, <laughs> with so shrewd a blow that slate and pate cracked at the same instant, and the poor pedagogue dropped to the floor and lay for dead. Wow. Wow. So basically, he dropped something on Brimblecomb's head. and His bald coxcomb. Possibly his bald coxcomb. In case you're interested, Emily. I'm sure I am. Here's how that scenario continues to play out. Oh, no. (laughs) After which, Amius arose and walked out of the school and so quietly home, and having taken counsel with himself, went to his mother and said, Please, mother, I've broken schoolmaster's head. (laughs) Broken his head? Thou wicked boy! shrieked the poor widow. What didst do that for? I can't tell, said Amius penitently. I couldn't help it. It looks so smooth and bald and round and, you know. I know, a wicked boy, thou hast (laughs) given place to the devil, and now perhaps thou hast killed him. Killed the devil? asked Amius, hopefully but doubtfully. No, killed the schoolmaster, sir, is he dead? I don't think he's dead. His coxcomb sounded too hard for that. (laughs) Oh my god, Kyle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. mean, great accent work. First Thank of you. all. Thank you. I knew I had to read it in an accent. Yeah, no, you did you really got into character in both characters. In both characters, yeah. It really um, came to life. <laughs> it really it really shown. So, yeah, so basically coxcomb the top of your head, Emily. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, going back to jesters, coxcomb you know, as I said earlier, came to mean generically a stupid person or a fool. I've got another quote for you here for that definition. It's so, God, I found so many great quotes. I, <laughs> I had to, I just had to use them. Ah, oh, I'm this, excited. This is from Act Four, Scene One of the 1621 play "The Witch of Edmonton." Oh, is by a group of men: William Raleigh, Thomas Decker, and John Ford. And the play is about, as Wikipedia puts it, an old woman shunned by her neighbors who gets revenge by selling her soul to the devil, who appears to her in the shape of a black dog called Tom. I, uh, that'll teach him, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> that'll teach him. <laughs> I'll spend eternity in hell, and then they'll regret what they've done. <laughs> okay, so this is, this is the little scene from this play, Emily. It starts with the dog talking mm-hmm. okay okay which good. which as we've stated before is satan in, right. in the shape yes, of a dog right? yep <laughs> says dog bow wow 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 <laughs> all oh the dog's here the dog's here <laughs> old banks a countryman it was the voice of a dog cuddy banks his son the voice of a dog if that voice were a dog's what voice had my mother so am I a dog? Bow, wow, wow. It was I that box so father to make coxcombs of these clowns. Oh. Old Banks, however, will be coxcombed no longer. Away, therefore, to the justice for a warrant. And then, Gammer Girton, have at your needle of witchcraft. Gammer Girton? Gammer Girton. Oh, that's... <laughs> I love Gammer Girton. Gammer Girton. <laughs> Gamer Gurton, didn't she live next to the old lady who was shunned? I love to see Gamer Gurton and Grandpa Gurton. <laughs> Gamer Gurton and Grandpa Gurton. So eventually, but more specifically, 
the word came to mean the definition that I gave at the top. So a vain, conceited person or a fop. Sure. As Mark Twain once described a man, he was a simpering coxcomb of the first water and the loudest dressed man in the state. He was an inveterate woman killer. Every week he wrote lushy poetry for the journal about his newest conquest. Oh, what is that from of Mark Twain's? It's from like, just like writings about his life. And he was talking about how he moved into this new town and got a job at a newspaper that was failing. And he, he, he was like, oh, you just watch. I'm such a good writer. I'm going to turn this paper around. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, this guy just showed up in town. I'm just going to make a fool of him in the newspaper. And so people funny. are going to eat it up. And they did. <laughs> <laughs> just gonna make a cockcomb out of this man yeah like he literally like wrote a big he like he says is like i came up with a great one-liner and i would have recited it but it, it's very dated and is not funny oh. but he's like they ate it up they loved it <laughs> like, it's okay. a gossip column about one man yeah about one guy <laughs> so cockcomb in the sense of a fop or a vain person, that's mainly how the word has been used throughout history. And it's often used, as you said, to to diss others, to, to make fun of other people. Sure. But man, did people love using this word. It, <laughs> is, it is used so often, Emily, that there are so many variations of it, like different forms of it. And I want to tell you about some of them because they excite me so much. And I think you'll really get a kick out of it. Oh, I'm so, so glad. So if someone has the qualities of a coxcomb, you can say they are coxcomic or <gasps> coxcomical. Coxcomic. Yeah. That's so good. <laughs> Isn't that good? If you're talking about that trait in someone, mm-hmm. you can call it their coxcomality. <gasps> That's so good. Coxcomicality. Coxcomedy. Coxcombry. Coxcombhood. Or coxcombliness. Oh my God. Those are all words that have been used for that meaning. All of those are so fantastic. Yeah, that's so good. Oh my God, I'm going to find excuses to use all of them. (laughs) Well, and here's here's a really great one. A female coxcomb may be called a (laughs) coxcomess. So just some really great, really great uh, ways to kind of change the usage of that word. Yeah, fantastic. One historical figure who made great use of the word coxcomb was Jonathan Swift. Yes, of Ah. Gulliver's Travels fame. Yes. Satirist. Satirist. Satirist with a Y. (laughs) (laughs) Like satirist? Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe, perhaps. We don't know. That's true. (laughs) Jonathan Swift. Jonathan Swift. He employed it a lot in his raillery. So he wrote a lot of things just making fun of people. That was like one of the things he was like famous for, I guess. I <laughs> Did know. he write for Mark Twain's newspaper? Yeah, he must have, <laughs> right? Notably, he picked on a man named Dan Jackson a lot. He like <laughs> wrote a bunch of poems about him. I mean, he sounds like a piece of crap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Screw that guy, Dan Jackson. What even, what even kind of name is that? Immediate right? bad vibe from Dan Jackson. <laughs> hey, Dan, what's that face for? <laughs> yeah, I literally don't know what warranted the teasing, but he wrote so many poems just really calling him names. <laughs> um, and he used Coxcomb in a lot of them, but I, they were so long and there's so much context needed that it was like, I can't quote this whole poem. But instead, <laughs> here's a different example from a Jonathan Swift poem called Tom Mullenix and Dick. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know who those people are. <laughs> I tried to Google either of their names. Probably I mean, one's friends just of Dick. Dan Jackson. Yeah, probably friends of Dan Jackson. Dan, Tom, and Dick. <laughs> Here's how their poem starts, Emily. Mm-hmm. Tom and Dick had equal fame and both had equal knowledge. Tom could write and spell his name, but Dick had seen the college. Dick a coxcomb, Tom was mad, and both alike diverting. Tom was held the merrier lad, but Dick the best at farting. <laughs> yeah, that rhymed. Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> also, what does it mean to be good at farting? Uh, the best at farting, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> right, but like, by what metrics? <laughs> the metrics, I mean, I think it's by decibel, right? But <laughs> <laughs> Gotta be. Yeah. yeah, I would have to go by decibel. <laughs> wow, Dick, your fart took out an entire village (laughs) i'm proud of that (laughs) so swift's opinion on fools is left as an epigram in his satirical essay thoughts on various subjects moral and diverting Mm. and he states this when a true genius appears in the world you may know him by this sign that the dunces are all in confederacy against him. (laughs) And that quote inspired the last work that we're going to talk about today, which is a 1980 book called A Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy Toole. Have you ever heard of this book, Emily? I have never heard of this. So when I was looking into this, I thought you might have heard of this. And here's why. Mm. A Confederacy of Dunces is a picaresque novel. (gasps) And it's actually listed on the Wikipedia page for picaresque novels. So I was like, oh, she's definitely come across this. I mean, we might have seen the title go by. But again, once we saw the magic pudding, everything else fell away. I just... (laughs) Like everything else in your vision falls away. Like, like we stopped looking at anything f- else. <laughs> so funny. Um, no, tell me about this picaresque. So A Confederacy of Dunces is a picaresque novel that follows the misadventures of Ignatius J. Riley, a 30-year-old slovenly, obese, Ugh. misanthropic, self-styled scholar yeah. who still lives with his mother in New Orleans mm-hmm. and who meets a menagerie of colorful characters in his quest for employment, yeah. such as Myrna Minkoff, <gasps> a Jewish beatnik from New York City that acts as Ignatius's Irene Adler to his Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Lana Lee, a pornographic model that runs a strip club called The Night of Joy. Mm-hmm. And Angelo Mancuso, an inept officer who, at the beginning of the novel, attempts to arrest Ignatius as a suspicious character and then remains a prominent character for the rest of the book, but because... Ignatius thinks that there's a conspiracy against him from this cop when there isn't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, that's so funny. I love the idea of an Irene Adler-Sherlock Holmes relationship, knowing that the Sherlock Holmes in this case is a dunce. (laughs) Is is just... Well, he's not a dunce. He's he's smart, but, like, awful. Sure. I mean, he's he's a picaron. He's a picaron. You got it, Emily. So it's described a little bit like Don Quixote, but with a fat, slovenly man, (laughs) in the sense that he quests outside of his home to find a job because he's jobless and like goes from like low paying job to low paying job, not being able to keep them because he thinks he's better than them and like all these things. 
So at one point, he gets a job selling hot dogs on the street. He's supposed to wear a costume, a pirate costume, (laughs) but he's so fat that he doesn't fit in the costume. So he's just half dressed. They're like, here, put on the earring, wear the bandana around your head and like, you know, hold a hook, whatever. And that's good enough. And He's physically ill in this scene because throughout the book, he keeps getting stomach sickness and it's supposed to be like representative of, you know, something, but he's literally like overstressed from his mother being overbearing and he's eaten more of the hot dogs than he's sold. So he's like way too full. So in this scene, he meets a man named Dorian Green, who is a regular coxcomb. Wikipedia describes him as a flamboyant French Quarter homosexual. Okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So this is a a bit of a lengthy scene, but I think it's worthwhile. So Dorian says, Oh dear, a voice said above Ignatius, What am I seeing? I come out to see this dreadful tacky art exhibit, and what do I find is exhibit number one? It's the ghost of Lafitte, the pirate. No, it's Fatty Arbuckle. Or is it Marie (laughs) Dressler? Tell me soon or I'll die. Ignatius looked up and saw the young man who had bought his mother's hat in The Night of Joy. If you remember, that's the strip club. Okay. Get away from me, you fop. Where is my mother's hat? Oh, that, the young man sighed. I'm afraid it was destroyed at a really wild gathering. Everyone dearly loved it. I'm sure that they did. I won't ask you just how it was desecrated. I wouldn't remember anyway. Too many martinis that night for little moi. (laughs) Oh, my God. What in God's name are you doing in that bizarre outfit? You look like Charles Lawton in drag as the Queen of the Gypsies. What are you supposed to be? I really want to know. Move along, you coxcomb, Ignatius belched, the gassy erectations echoing between the walls of the alley. The Women's Art Guild turned its hats toward the source of the volcanic sound. Ignatius glared at the young man's tawny velvet jacket and mauve cashmere sweater and the wave of blonde hair that fell over the forehead of his sharp, glittering face. Get away from me before I strike you down. Wow. Rough. (laughs) Rough. Rough stuff, right? (laughs) When is that from again? 1980. 80. Yeah. Very recently. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let me let me get into some of the fascinating stuff, Emily. Get into it. Many locals see it as the most accurate depiction of New Orleans in fiction of all time. Wow. It has never been made into a film, but there have been so many attempts to make it into a film. Just three of those include one starring John Belushi. John Candy, and Chris Farley, all of whom died before filming could take place, Uh, leading some to believe that the material is cursed. It is cursed. It's cursed. For his part, Toole himself tried for years to get the book published, mostly at the insistence of his own overbearing mother, with whom he lived. I don't like this. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, uh, crossover Layers. between his character and himself. Yeah, Tool finished the book in 1963, but he was constantly rejected, and each rejection drove him further and further into depression and desperation. Eesh. So he started to drink heavily. He gained enough weight that he had to buy all new clothing, and he became paranoid much like his character, to the point that he thought that a woman at the publishing company Simon & Schuster was trying to steal his book so her husband could publish it. 
eventually, sadly, Toole's depression drove him to suicide in 1969. And it's a a really, really sad um, story, you know, the way his life ended. He just kind of started to, you know, fall away from 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 civilized life wait um mm-hmm. you said 1969 yes but it wasn't until 1980 emily that his mother was finally able to harass somebody enough to consider publishing the book because every oh. person that he approached was like no it's not good no it's not good <laughs> And he was like, it's great. I'm so smart and you don't understand me. And everyone's like, no, no. <laughs> and so, but finally in 1980, somebody was like, fine, I'll read it. And they were like, oh my God, this is incredible. And the book is now considered a masterpiece of literature wow. for literature from the Southern United States. Wow. But yeah. published, published posthumously. Posthumously. 11 years posthumously. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, it's a really, really wonderful, exciting book. But ultimately, much like Ignatius, it seems Tool was followed by his own confederacy of dunces that <laughs> never truly appreciated the brilliance of his work. Well done. You brought it around. I, I brought it home. <laughs> I brought it home, Emily. <laughs> Emily, that was Coxcomb. Wow. We covered a lot of things. Yeah. We covered fools. We covered heads. We covered roosters. Now yeah. it's my turn to ask you, can you use Coxcomb in a sentence? Boy, I mean, I mean, I definitely can. I'm just trying to think of a good one. Think up a good one. Actually, what I would love to do is use Coxcomb. Comicness. What is it? Coxcomliness? Cox, Cox Coxcomicality? Coxcomicality. <laughs> uh, I was blown away by the man's Coxcomicality. What? Coxcomicality. Oh, boy. <laughs> I was blown away by A my plus. own Coxcomicality. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> Emily was hit on the Coxcomb before this recording took place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Could no longer string together syllables. <laughs> All right, Emily. Are you into playing a little bit of a game? A little bit of a game. Just a little bit, though. Just a little bit. It's a little game. I it's got not somewhere to be, one. you know. <laughs> All right, Emily. Your game today is called Fool Me Twice. Oh, shame on me. Shame on me. So (laughs) fools weren't the only things that dressed like donkeys or roosters or were related to donkeys and roosters, let's say. Uh Uh-huh. So in this game, I'm going to give you a generic description of something, and you're going to have to tell me if it's a coxcomb, if it can be called something related to a donkey, or if it is both. Okay. All right. We're going to do the first one and then you'll understand. Yeah, I think I'll understand with an example. So your first one is a type of engine. Now, is there a type of engine that is related to roosters, related to donkeys, or both? Oh, I mean, that I know of? No. (laughs) That's not the answer, Emily. (laughs) I will just take a wild guess and say coxcomb. Wrong. Ah. This one's an ass. So the steam donkey or donkey engine (laughs) was a steam-powered winch once used in many industries, and it's named as such because it was originally used to load and unload cargo on sailing ships. Oh. The steam donkey. Yeah, that makes sense. That's fun. That's fun, right? All right. Number two, a type of oyster. A type of oyster. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I'm going to say coxcomb. I'm going to give you half a point. Oh, <laughs> because we've been twice? fooled twice. Yeah, you got it. So coxcomb oysters are red oysters with a ridged shell, and it looks like they're like a little coxcomb sticking off the rocks that they attach themselves to. Wow. Yeah, they're really fun looking. There are also donkey thorn oysters that are also red and they've got these spiny thorns sticking off of them. I don't know why they're called related to donkeys, though. I couldn't (laughs) find that out. What are you talking about? That's exactly what a normal donkey looks like. (laughs) Red and spiny. (laughs) That's why we use them to ride on. Absolutely. (laughs) Your third one here is a type of gaslight burner. A type of gaslight burner? You know what? It's got to be right sooner or later. Coxcomb. (laughs) You got it, Emily. You did it. (laughs) What a relief. What a relief it is. I'm the old lady that just stands by the same (laughs) slot machine until it goes. (laughs) Until she wins her 30 cents back. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So used in the early 19th century, a coxcomb burner had four or more jets in a row, which when lit resembled a coxcomb. Resembled a coxcomb. Yeah. That's fun. It was very bad. It used so much gas and was pretty (laughs) ineffective. So they just stopped using it eventually. Sure. Like this is not a good way to, it's just going to waste gas. Well, we tried it and uh, no. (laughs) And uh, turns out just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. (laughs) True. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope people learn a lesson from this historical anomaly. <laughs> <laughs> Your next question is, Emily, a type of orchid. Ooh, I'm going to say, fool me twice. <gasps> Emily, you're correct. <gasps> I guessed. I guessed. (laughs) Yeah. So donkey orchids have two petals that stick out above the rest of the flower, and it looks like little donkey ears. ears. They're really cute. And then there are also, I think, a newer hybrid of orchids called Wilsonara red stars, also called red rooster orchids. And they're this vibrant shade of red, and the flowers themselves look like little tiny roosters. (laughs) Oh. A whole rooster? Yeah, like a whole rooster. Emily, here's your last question. All right, I'm ready. A part of the human skeleton. Oh, I guess fool me twice? Because, well, I mean, if we're being really literal, a coxcomb is the head and an ass is an ass. Sure, sure, sure. (laughs) Not, not, no, not like that. Not where you were at? (laughs) No, no, no. Like related to the bones. Sure. Um, I will say... No, I'm sticking with it. Fool me twice. Well, I can't say you're wrong, definitely, because I couldn't just Google all of the bones in the body and see if there was a donkey one. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure it's just coxcomb, and here's why. Okay. The Krista Galley is the upper part of the perpendicular plate of the ethmoid bone, which is the bone that separates the nasal cavity from the brain. So it's in your face. It's in your face. Yeah, and it's a the crystagalli is a little ridge along this bone, and the ridge itself looks like a rooster's crest. And it, oh. it separates the two olfactory bulbs of the olfactory nerve, so you can smell from either nostril. And crystagalli is meant to sound like coxcomb? Christigalli is literally Latin for crest of the rooster, oh. hence why it, the the ridge itself is sometimes called the coxcomb. Wow. Yeah. All right. That's fun. <laughs> wow. You know, that's just... fun is not something you need to say when something <laughs> is fun. 
I'm just so. a little deflated because I only got one right. <laughs> no, Emily, you got so much. I also gave you another half a point. And you got you got the word right, Emily. That's the most important sure, part. Yeah. And we're going to cheer you for that. We're going to remember episode, that. Emily is no coxcomb. <laughs> That's right. And listen, if you listening out there are no coxcomb, you would be following so Butter No Parsnips oh my God, on Facebook and on Instagram at Butter No Parsnips Podcast. And if you like today's episode, consider giving us a five-star rating or review wherever you heard us. And if you super like today's uh, episode, today's podcast, we do today's, a different one every week. Oh, yeah, we do. Uh, <laughs> Consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash butternoparsnips. Donating $5 or more earns you a shout-out either on social media or here on the podcast. So, so thank you. Thank so you to everyone who has donated. <laughs> you help us do what we do, and we coxcombs appreciate that. <laughs> and with that, I've been Kyle. And I've been Emily. And this has been Butter No Parsnips. Thank you for listening to Butter No Parsnips. Butter No Parsnips is produced by Seth Glicksman, Emily Moyers, and Kyle Imperator. The theme music and additional music is by Kyle Imperator. If you liked listening to this episode, subscribe and give us a good rating and or positive review wherever you heard it. If you really liked listening, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash butternoparsnips. There you can get bonus content you can't get anywhere else, like the monthly Patreon-exclusive podcast Buttered Parsnips. Your support means the world to us and encourages us to keep making more. Thanks in advance, and we'll be back next week.